Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Murloc in panties. I don't know why you said that, but okay. I'm trying to help you, man. I mean, Murlocs are sort of topical because today we are going to be talking about uh, the next in our sort of raid series, but we're also going to throw some dungeons in here because this particular one is sort of its own kind of ecology, I guess. It, it Everything is tied into each other. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Serpent Shrine Cavern and by extension, the rest of the Quail Fang Reservoir, which also is the Slave Pens, Underbog, and the Steam Vault. Um, so where do you think we should begin with this besides the fact that it is essentially Naga Central for... Uh, Burning Crusade. What do you think? Well, l- let me do some, do this first. We should give a real quick presses on Zangarmarsh because that's kind of important to what Serpent Shrine Caverns is. Um, Zangarmarsh in Outland is the remains of the Zangar Sea that that lived on Draenor. Mm-hmm. If you if you did Warlords of Draenor, the big Zangar Sea that's between I want to say Nagrand and uh, Blades Edge, not Blades Edge. Uh, the place that's that becomes blades edge frostfire yeah frostfire ridge yeah frostfire ridge it's between those two areas it goes it butts right up against uh what is you know telrador and so that whole area and the thing about it is it, like i said it was a sea it's full of big mushrooms there's like giant mushrooms that like are sticking out the top of the ocean which i don't you know good luck on how that works you know i don't know but when draenor got ripped apart because of you know a little whoopsie on Nurzel's end there. Um, they, the Zangar Sea, part of it came along with them, but obviously not all of it because, you know, not all of the planet came along with them, just, just a big chunk of it. When that happened, the Zangar Sea was one of the few big sources of water left. And when the Naga came along with Lady Vosh to what is now Outland, and they were accompanying uh, Illidan and his little plan to get himself a hidey hole, they decided, you know, this is the only place that's really like, you know, our speed. And so they went in there and basically what happened, if you look at Zangar Marsh in general, is that it is not a sea. Like that's the first thing that occurs to you is this is not a sea of any kind. This is this is a marsh. Why is it a marsh? The Nagar are why it's a marsh. Serpent Shrine Cavern is their gigantic installation that they built to drain the water out well, of the Sangar Sea. Not Serpent Shrine Cavern, Coilfang Reservoir. Coilfang Reservoir, the yes. Enti- but the Serpent Shrine Caverns are part, part of it. it. Yes. And sort of and the background behind that is is that one of the things that I think Illidan stated in, in very early uh, setup for this is that whoever controls the water controls Outland. And it's the idea that Outland has a very limited number of resources because of that catastrophe that occurred with, with you know, with Ner'zhul and and the whole blowing up of a planet that kind of tends to make water be a little scarce. And when you look at the landmass and you start going through the, the, the lands of and the zones of Outland, you notice exactly how true that really, really is. Blades Edge Mountain is almost completely barren. Uh, there are patches of of greenery, but it's mostly because that's where a concentration of druids happen to be hanging out. Um, there, you go through Hellfire Peninsula. Look at the mountains. Look how all of the trees are desiccated and bare. Um, Nagrand is 
the exception to the rule. Uh, but Nagrand has four gigantic elemental spirits. Exactly. One of which happens to be water. It. Yeah. yeah. That is, it's fairly clear that the elemental, you know, the, the reason there's water on Outland at all is because of the direct intervention of elemental spirits that are, that are providing these things. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's no way, like we see floating islands with water falling off of them. And it's like, where is that water coming from? It would have, shouldn't it be out of water by now? It's a, it's a rock about the size of a, like a football field at most. How is it providing this much water? The elemental spirits are doing so. They're attempting to keep the place alive. Yeah. And it, like, there's an entire quest line about that, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's an entire, yeah. and especially if you're a shaman, like it's pretty poignant and pretty on point um, as far as like how that goes. But the rest of Outland itself is just a barren mass of land and arid landscape. And Part of that is because this area of Zangar, uh, where the Zangar Sea is, what was left of it, which is surrounded by high mountain ranges, which would have been basically a basin, a natural basin, uh, is being completely drained and held back by the Coil Thing Reservoir in an attempt to essentially, again, control the people of Outland. Because if you can't drink and you don't have water, that's one of the bare essentials you need to survive. That means livestock, that means plants, so your food sources are going to be gone. And, I mean, it's just a basic building block of pretty much all life in World of Warcraft. Like, you need to have water. Um, Just like in real life. Go figure. Uh, So then you can start parsing it out and exerting control over everybody. You want water? You have to deal with us. And it also does things like choke out any of the legion uh that might be using human servants um which we or know, any mortal servant or any mortal servant uh we know that they've they've done that in the past um if there tends to be an uprising of any of those fell orcs well now if they can't drink and eat they're going to eventually die and they're smart enough even in their feral state to know that uh it just becomes a huge power play and this is all being done under the, the watchful eye of Lady Vosh, who is probably, at this point, one of Illidan's most trusted lieutenants. She's a known quantity. Um, and that's sort of the, at least in my mind, the basic setup for this entire area and helps inform a lot of what's going on here. Um, I think we should probably start with the dungeon sides of it first, unless there's anything else you want to add to the setup. Well, to be fair, those the dungeons, the slave pens, the underbog... And the Steam Vault, they are technically not part of Serpent Shrine Cavern. They're part of Coilfang Reservoir. Correct. As Serpent Shrine Cavern is. But that's, yeah, that's 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 quibbling. Go ahead. All right. Uh, so I think we'll start. I think uh, Slave Pens is the first one that we come across. Um, and here it is, well, it's a resource gathering place. And by resources, um, that means it is a place of exotic plants, animals, um, and also a place to make the broken work under the watchful eye of Naga slavers. Um, they're essentially breaking people. Uh, they're they're big, taking these broken who maybe don't necessarily want to to support uh, Illidan. This could this could be the ones that are starting to break away because I believe at this point we understand that. Um, why can't I think of his name now? Uh, the broken in Black Temple. Uh, Kama. Akama. I think Akama at this point is is already. I think we've already dealt with him at this point. He he kind of doesn't want to be under Illidan anymore, but can't. Well, break free. I mean, we we yeah, know he, this. Basically, he he gives you quests to go. I know he gives you quests to go to Tempest Keep. I don't think he gives you any quests to go to Serpent Shrine, but I'm not 100 percent on that. He might. No, actually, he does. He has you assassinate somebody. He, you're you're uh, there to kill Menu the Betrayer on his behalf. Yeah, but yeah, so he's he's working subtly alongside 
you know, he can't, he can't actively betray Illidan at this time. Um, partially because that's Illidan's name and, you know, he's got to, you know, kind of work up to it, but more accurately, because he's got, he's got a lot of deals going on because Illidan has his soul. Yep. Like literally Illidan has ripped this guy's soul out and is holding it. And if he does anything, he'll just snuff it and then, you know, he'll just die. But at the so, same, yeah. at the same point, all of his people are being subjugated and used as menial labor for the construction in this case of the yeah. Coilfang Reservoir. The but whole they, reason that Akama went along with Illidan in the first place was to free his people from the Legion. Yep. And then immediately Illidan basically enslaved them. So it's like you didn't even take five minutes, man. You just you just immediately put you made things worse because we were hiding from the Legion. We weren't actually enslaved by them. We were just terrified they were going to murder us. Now we're actually enslaved. And, wow. And the worst part about that for a lot of it is Menu the Betrayer is he is a broken and he is a broken shaman and he betrayed his own people, sold them into slavery and acts as uh, the slave driver for the, the slave pens in, you know, service to his Naga overlords and then by extension Illidan. And he did this in exchange for his own life and power. And you see that in the encounter with him when you have um, all of his corrupted totems that he starts uh, throwing out there, uh, whether it's, you know, the fire or him healing himself. He's just like this twisted version of a shaman that even talks about, you know, this is his realm. This is his power. Uh, he didn't care that he was selling his people into essentially death. And so that's the very first thing you do when you wind up going through any of this stuff. Um, and then there's, there's some other weird things in there as well. Um, Rockmar the Crackler, giant lobster, or I think he's a lobstrock is the race. I'm not entirely certain. Um, which seems like they're starting to try to build behemoths to unleash upon, or at least grow behemoths to unleash upon the rest of uh, the surrounding area because something that big, I mean, when you're going through the rest of Zangermarsh, nothing's really that big besides the fence striders, and even then, they're not nearly as big as, as Rockmar is. And doesn't have natural There's armor giants. like Rockmar. There's the fungal giants. They're sure, there. there are. But it's if you can grow an army of these things or or get an army of these things under your service, that just helps solidify your power. I think the implication is that both Rockmar and the following boss, Quagmaron, were there before the Naga got there. I think so, But too. when the Naga got there, they were like, okay, we're going to enslave these guys because, you know, we need brute force, and these guys look like they can provide brute force. Um I don't think uh, the Lobstrock are sapient beings. They uh, are. They, they have minds and they can. They have wills. I don't know how much Rockmar follows along that pattern. He does not seem to be particularly bright. Which, uh, but the question then is that because it's a mutation of what Rockmar was, because we have yeah, seen maybe that as exposure to fell energies and a lot of exposure to the the experimentations of Illidan, that creatures tend to get, for lack of a better term, bigger and dumber. Um, which is sort of like the Draenor normal thing. The bigger they are, the less intelligent they seem to be to a certain extent. Yeah, um, in, in Rockmar's case, we don't know. We have no idea if he's just a, a freak who is always that big or if they turned him into something. I mean, it seems unlikely that he and Quagmiron lived in that cave with him much smaller than Quagmiron because then Quagmiron would crush him. So it seems likely that they both were living in this area. They were both giants. They were both relatively mutated. and 
Rockmar has just been put to use. But I honestly think Quagmirin's more interesting. I think so too. And go ahead. Uh, well, first off, Quagmirin is a is a fungal giant, uh, also known as a bog lord. Mm-hmm. The bog lords are interesting because on Outland you do not see a lot of giants, and the ones you do see are big breaker type rock giants. But they're not like there's certain races that should exist that don't anymore. Um, the Magnaron, you don't see any of them and you don't see any Ogron on Outland. And that's weird because both the Magnaron and out and Ogron were still there 30 years, you know, back when, just before the dark portal opened, they were still there in numbers. And now suddenly they're just gone. And is, these are huge, powerful beings. So it's interesting that they're not around anymore, but the fungal giants, they're, they're something that we see on both Draenor and Outland. So, but but rarely because in in on Draenor, the the sea was underwater. Like the the whole area here was underwater, so it was very rare. They would just be kind of around the edges of the Zangar Sea. That to me is interesting. Uh, what Quagamiron is doing and why it's there. Like we don't know. Well, we we kind of do because of the underbog. There's a there's well, yeah, a tie. yeah. I know you're gonna talk you're gonna talk about Hungerfen. I know we're getting yeah. there, but. The thing is that Hungerfen and and Quagmiron apparently live together. Mm-hmm. Like and then somehow Quagmiron was enslaved and so Hungerfen was left alone in the underbog. And that's just not how it was before. It was Quagmiron and Hungerfen together. They apparently ruled jointly and peacefully. I don't know that you can argue that there's anything like gender among giant fungus monsters. Uh so I don't know how you describe what their relationship was for that matter. It doesn't they, necessarily matter. Although they are both in, if you look at like dungeon journals and stuff like that, I, I agree with you, but they are at least in game terms, they are referred to as men. Yeah. And then for, you know, who knows? I, I honestly, this is, this is not a discussion I'm really feeling capable of having fair, but you, you know that when you go down and kill Quagmiron, that it basically, it, it basically means that you have to kill Hungerfen later. Like it's, you almost have to put Hungerfin out of his misery by killing him because you've killed Quagmiron, and it's it's just fascinating to me. Like what what were they doing with this thing? Like why why did they how did they torture it? Much less we know it was tortured, but how was it tortured? How did they catch it? Like he was captured, then they tortured him and you know broke him, and it's like. Did they just happen to have techniques for torturing fungus, or did they have to make them up? I mean, there's a the Nagar are inventive, so I'm not surprised that they they came up with a way to do it. It's just surprising to me that it's just like he's a giant fungus monster. Well, what? I think is- I, I'm wondering if some of it has to do with the fact that like when we find Quagmiron, right, he's in a pool, sort of slumbering until we go and wake him up, right. Um, is that an artifact of what they did to him or did they happen to stumble upon him during a natural rejuvenation or a rebirth cycle or something? Because we have seen, you know, bog creatures go through like natural like cycles. That's just sort of what they do. Um, so did they just come upon him when he was asleep or in a suspended state and then apply magic to him? Because the Naga are not slouches when it comes to arcane energy and they understand things. They're as far as like arcane natures and minds go. We know that. Um, did they just apply it because they had the opportunity? Because- well, here's an interesting thing too. Um, have you ever like looked at the the like images of Quagmiron that they have? Like just not With the eyeball. Not the, yeah. Yeah. The, the that, almost that mechanical big fake eyeball. Eye. Yeah, yeah. That big fake eye that he's got. That other 
fungal giants do not have. That's not normal. Yeah, he does have a red eye, and I, he's often represented as having um, a scar on that side. Was it something that was implanted in? Because Coil Fang is a pretty marvelous uh, technological piece. As, as horrible as it is, the Coil Fang Reservoir is a giant machine. Uh, that, was, extreme, yeah. that was yeah. That was not there. was not there before. It was no, built. no, no. This was underwater. Like this was literally the bottom of the Zangar Sea. Yep. There wasn't anything here. Yeah. Please continue. If you if you go look at Hungerfen. Uh, who would, I know we're going to talk about more later, but if you go look at Hungerfan, he does not have one. Yep. Now, and it's the problem is, is too like because they took Quagmiron, Hungerfan now just wants to kill everything. Yes. Like he he's not he's not in balance anymore, so you end up having to kill him because he's just nuts, which I think is fascinating. Um, but getting back to Quagmiron, the fungal giants in general imply a lot about the ecosystem that's supposed to be here. There's like a whole place the most desiccated place in Zangar Marsh where a whole bunch of, of fungal giants are just wandering around and they look really kind of shocked. Yeah. They're confused. Yeah. Like what's, why is this place like this? So yeah, that's, I think in general, the slave pens are, as you pointed out, they're, they're there to hold slaves. That's what they're for. Uh, But that kind of leads us into the underbog because the underbog is clearly where the Naga are expanding to next. Yes. And, Um, the underbog is the second instance that you are you're in the chain of, of instances to uh, or dungeons to raid uh, sort of pipeline that you follow into. Um, and in here, there's very clearly it's the Naga trying to encroach in on the natural ecology and try to take more from it. You have all the same types of creatures that you see in the slave pens, except here they're not enslaved. You have spore bats uh, uh, plenty you have uh bog giants you have uh all sorts of the the lobstrocks you have everything that that looks like this is a much more natural place and as you're going through it you notice that the naga well they're fighting that nature and they're trying to kind of keep it under uh under their control right um so i believe the first one you come across is hungerfen who is uh, often, like Matt pointed out, it's, it's often described as co-leading uh, the Bog Giants uh, with uh, Quagmiron, and it, it completely incensed. There is no reasoning. There, It's just straight-up attack, and it's one of those things where you have to put them down. You don't have a choice. But what's interesting to me is is not necessarily just the rage of that. It's what follows immediately after, which is when you start to see the physical sort of encroachment of the Naga with what they've actually built. And they've built a sort of pen or or structure in order to house a Hydra god? Question mark? It's referred to as a Hydra god, but I mean, it's, it's just fascinating because I didn't think there was anything that linked before this moment the Naga to Hydra. Is there? Uh, kind of, actually. Um, if you go back to Azeroth, and you go to uh, Black Fathom Deeps, the end boss is a Hydra. Oh, and that's Black true. Fathom Deep is a Naga Naga's, place. Yeah. The thing is that the Naga are technically old god worshippers, and Hydras are sacred to the old gods for some reason. We don't know why, but we know that they are. So when you go to Black Fathom Deeps, there's there's like a Hydra boss at the end and everything. I wonder if the Hydra are, um, and, and this is just a total random aside, I wonder if there's a linkage between them and Yashiraj. I don't know. 
It, it's it, it certainly could be that that would be the case. They could be say could be the sacred animals of Yasharaj. Since um, multi-headed, multi-headed, but yeah, that's oh, just yeah. neither here nor there. But that's one of the things that they they talk about in terms of the fact that there are hydras on both Azeroth and Outland. Mm-hmm. And we know that if hydras get big enough, they literally submerge their bodies and just their heads come out because we fight one. Uh, in uh, I want to say. I want to say Tempest Keep, but that's not the word I'm looking for. It's Throne of Thunder. Throne of Thunder. In Throne of Thunder, yep. they've got one in the basement. It's just its heads come up. But yeah, Gazan is thick. I. It's actually very similar to the Black Fathoms Deep boss, whose name is completely escaping me. But um, they he's treated like a god or a god you know, pet or something. Here's a question for you. Now that I'm thinking about this, when we go to Warlords of Draenor, are there any non-plant based Hydra? I don't remember. I honestly don't remember either. Because I'm kind of curious, is Warlords of Draenor... Aquamal, since- though. Aquamal is the one that we fight at the base of Black Fathom Deeps. Yes. Okay. And he's considered a favored pet of some of the old gods. But I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of curious if the Naga brought the Hydra with them to Outland. Because- That's actually something they talk about in the entry on Gazan. With like, they, they're not sure if there's a physical connection between the Hydras on, on Outland and the Hydras from Azeroth. Like if they carry, I know they they mentioned about carrying a uh, or linking back to a common ancestor, but I think I'm wondering if that I don't know if that's been updated since Warlords of Draenor because I'm starting to think about it, and I think that might be the case because I don't remember regular Hydra. I think everything we dealt with that was multi-headed in Warlords of Draenor in just the natural zones were plant-based. They were they were part nope. of the primals. Just they? looked them up. Nope, looked them up. There are some that that were just straight up Hydras. Okay, cool. All right, so there is a possibility, but it is fascinating. In fact, the ones you see that that look to be plant based are probably infected by spores. That would make sense. Okay, they're not. They're not actually. They're, they're not actually they're, plants. Yeah. So yeah, there's the different broods are often named after the broods matriarch or patriarch. The main broods are named after four large hydras: uh, Lernea, whose brood is green and used poison based attack; Echidna, whose brood is dark purple and used earth based attack. Uh, Karavnos, whose brood is blue and use lightning-based attack, and Typhon, whose brood is red and use uh, fire-based attacks. So yeah, he is uh, he is on the, the shores of the Everbloom Wilds in Gorgrond. He's the slightly more advanced Hydra model that looks v- kind of similar to Garm. Mm. He's not quite as, he's not as primitive as the Akamal or Gazan model, but that's just probably because they updated them. It's not necessarily intended to be a different look. Interesting. But yeah, if you look at Gazan, Gazan is the more primitive looking with, you know, no eyes type look. And the ones that we meet in the world as Draenor are more obviously Hydras. But yeah, generally speaking, it's it's similar. So we don't know if there's a reason they had, like, why do they have Gazan besides the fact that Hydras are sacred to the old gods? I don't know. Um, is that the reason? They just, you know, the old gods, you know, like hydras so they grabbed one did they get him from zanger marsh or is he from somewhere else because i don't think there's a ton of hydras wandering around zanger marsh no I don't, uh, I don't think so either yeah so did they bring him from azeroth no idea uh there are some there were some hydras native to azeroth to to, Gorg, to draenor and to azeroth we don't know if they're related we don't know if there's any relation between the life forms on draenor and the ones on azeroth we know that azeroth had native life it did not all titan made um, and we know that the same's true for, for, for Draenor. I mean, there are Titan made beings there, uh, the orcs, for instance, but there were a lot of life forms that just lived there. Uh, so yeah, it's, it, it is an open question, but 
they they do have Gazan, and they've actually built a chamber for him. Yes, yeah. And it it seems almost like they built it, you know, just to keep him. Like there's no Gazan serves no purpose. Gazan isn't doing anything. It's not like he's he's necessary for their plans. He's just there. At least that we know and, about, right? That we know about it. it. There doesn't seem to be anything. He is on top of this big platform. The big platform is connected to the the, the apparatus that they are using to drain the water out of the area. He might be there. Just the, I think one of the things they say is that he was there to to, to scare the the things down there. Like you know, you, you don't want to come any closer. Maybe to keep Hungerfen from trying to just march in and crush them. Which would make sense because Hungerfen literally is sitting right outside of this construction, right? Mm-hmm. And like we get there, and there's nothing fighting Hungerfen. There are a couple, and there are a couple bog giants that are trying to get into that facility, but Hungerfen's not, right? So is it is it that they're he's throwing you know bog giants at it to try to get in there, or is it that? That's all he has because the rest of the the place doesn't want to deal with Gazan. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, but that is that is interesting. Yeah, but after Gazan, that's when Underbog starts getting more. I don't know if I want to say interesting because it gets real strange. Yeah. Uh, after you after you you deal with Gazan, the next boss is a is a broken, and he's he's actually in charge of a a broken tribe. It's a Swamp Lord uh, Musalek. Leader of the Merkbloods, right? Yeah, he's he's a, he's a big Merkblood. And it's like, it's hard to say what he's doing there. I mean, I, I assume he must be working for the for the Naga. Um, you know, it, it, it's he, he's basically roaming this, the caverns underneath Zangarmarsh. And he's enslaved a druid of all things. You know, yeah, he's, he's, he's a hunter. Who's, I was going to say yeah, he's, he's a hunter who's made a, made a druid in bear form his hunter pet. Yeah, but it's an, it, there's nothing in here about him working for the Naga. Or even, you know, rebelling against the Naga. He's just there. And I think at this He's, point, too, it's mostly gotten, like, you're mostly encountering natural things, too. Like, the Naga haven't penetrated this. Yeah, once you get past Gazan, Gazan seems to be the only thing that the Naga put down here. Like, of course, the machinery and the few Naga that you fight to get to it. But after you, you basically, you go through the, like, you know, Hungerfen and the Bog Lords. There's a brief moment where you hit the machinery and there's some Naga to fight. There are a couple of really nasty trash pulls, I'll give you that. Back in the day, they were they were pain to deal with. Yes, they are. But once you get through there and you kill Gazan, that's it for the Naga. Everything you meet from this point on does not seem to be related to them. Uh, Musalek does not seem to be related for the, to the Naga in any way. He doesn't seem to be enslaved by them. His tribe doesn't seem to be enslaved by them. He's just there. He just He's wandering around Coilfang. He's, he's wandering around... Uh, and this, you know the, the underbog, and he stumbled upon this druid from Azeroth and enslaved him. And the interesting thing about that is, it also starts because uh, I think the that particular druid does it tie in with the party from uh, Slayfens? Because there's I think a- so. Yeah, like I think they, they, he's one of the ones that goes who, missing. They, yeah, yeah, I think so. Hmm? Because I think the because the, there are alliance adventurers too that 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 are that are in these areas. Um, when you go to to face uh, Quagmiron or Quag, well, Quagmire, whatever, I can never, I cannot remember his Quagmiron. name. Quagmiron. Quagmiron. Um, you free right before you go in there. You free a set of adventurers that are that are alliance adventurers that were investigating the area, and we know that the alliance had had come to this land a while ago. Um, I forgot how many years at this point. But then the qu- begs the question of the Underbog: If the Druid made its way into the Underbog. 
did he find Swamp Lord uh, Musilek before the Naga even got there? Because maybe why wouldn't he have reported the Naga doing what they're doing otherwise? Right. So, I mean, it, it, he probably would have reported them if he had been there to do it. You're right. That makes sense. And then I think that maybe Swamp Lord Musilek didn't even know that the Naga were there, especially if it didn't care to go up and take a look. I mean, maybe he he probably would have figured it out when the patterns of the animals started changing because the dude's super into animals. He's got like a whole bunch of them that that he you know he's literally in the middle of like half of this place's aggressive natural wildlife. He's just hanging out. He's, I gotta believe he would know that the patterns of the animals had been disturbed. Sure, and maybe and maybe he blamed the druid for it. Maybe he blamed uh, us when he I'm, sees us. I don't. know. I'm not a hundred percent convinced he knew that that was a druid. No, man, maybe at no point does he turn back. You know what I mean? It's like, it's quite possible. He found a weird bear. He, you know, beat it up until it did what he told it to do. And he never once thought about the fact that this weird bear was a weird bear. Where the heck are bear? There's no bears in Outland. (laughs) You know, this is not an animal he ever would have seen before. There's just, you know, there's no bears in Outland. (laughs) It's just. Where did he see this thing? You know, so that always struck me as amusing. But nonetheless, you kill Muzalek, you free that guy because you're you're given a quest to free him, and then from there you head on to the Black Stalker, who is the real creepy. What is this thing of this area? Uh, in my opinion, the Black Stalker is unique. Very uh, much so. It, it is essentially it's, it's a like spore a, walker. it's like a yeah it's a, it's like a spore walker that that preys on sporlings. And and uh, you know bog lords and all that. It, it, it's it's like the brood mother of the marsh walkers in Zanger Marsh, which of course is not as full of marsh walkers as it once would have been because of all the stuff that's been happening. This thing is actually psychic. It's got mental powers. It, it that's yeah, that's like, interesting. And like, and like interesting, like uh, so, like just to go through them real quick because I think this is kind of relevant to the discussion here. Levitate, uh, which is able to basically throw everybody into the air static charge uh, where it does just this natural pulse of, of like electrical energy chain lightning, uh, which arcs further than a shaman's chain lightning at the time. And then spore striders where it summons and can control a group of spore striders to aid her in battle. That is I mean, it is it is fascinating because I think it's the only one of those creatures we see that exerts any sort of like one hive mentality, uh, potentially, or exert the ability to exert control over others of its kind. Uh, but yeah, that psychic ability is is it's weird. It was unexpected. Yeah, and there's not really anything to the the the, the story that tells us why this thing has these abilities. If this is just a natural stage of marsh walkers, and the reason it's so unusual is because we don't have that many marsh walkers anymore or is it a result of it eating all of the sporlings and things that are related to the spores and the creatures that are naturally occurring because we know that from looking at warlords of draenor that creatures of the primals are having an overabundance of spirit right so does does this awaken something in this creature otherwise maybe but it is a fascinating it is a fascinating place um that really is, I think, the the entirety of Underbog is to show that the Naga have disrupted the natural flow of things to such an extent that everything feels off, everything feels weird. But looking at the Black Stalker, I'm not entirely certain that what they were doing 
didn't necessarily have a benefit, at least in a little bit, because uh, the Black Stalker scares me. Thinking about something like that that has that sort of ability out on its own, like not contained and what it could possibly do, could have potentially been very, very bad. Yeah, but it seemed basically that it was still penned in by the environmental catastrophe that the Naga had created, uh, even though it wasn't, you know, th- that area, the underbog seems to be mercifully free of the effects so far. The fact that they desiccated so much as Angermarsh, that the place was now, you know, there were outright dead zones, and there's only a few marsh walkers in Zangermarsh, mm-hmm. you know, and that to me, you know, these animals would have basically teamed on the shores of the Zangar Sea once, and now there's barely any of them left. Uh, but then we go into the Steam Vault. The Steam Vault is the Naga's actual, like it's their. Base I don't want to say Bastion of. I don't want to say Bastion of Power because that's the Serpent Shrine Caverns themselves. But the Steam Vault is there. We we branched out, and here is a place we have absolutely dominated. Mm-hmm. And it feels very much like the the construction zone for the next wing of Serpent Shrine Caverns is the Steam Vault. It's where they have more, most of their slaves. It's where their forces are uh, the most entrenched, aside from, again, the Serpent Shrine Caverns themselves. Uh, it's ruled by, um, oh, bloody heck, Warlord... Califresh. I can't remember. Thank you. I could not remember the name. Yeah, I knew the, it was a warlord. The interesting thing, though, is like I think you're going back to what you said originally. It, this is the mechanical heart of the entire mechanism that's draining the swamp. Like that's that's canonical. Like that that's where the the heart of the machine lives, which is also why Warlord Calithresh is there to protect it, um, keeping it separate. It's not the seat of power, but it is an important location to keep the machinery of the entirety of Quailfang Reservoir working and. That in and of itself is is fascinating with how much they have uh, absolutely devoted to it because there are um, there's a couple interesting things here, uh, especially when you start to ask the question of how did they get the technology. But I think we should start from the beginning and work our way back. Yeah, probably from the first boss. Yeah, at least. So the first thing is the first boss is Hydromancer uh, Thespia, and basically the name is. Uh, what you need to know here, it's a hydromancer. It is a magic user that is focused primarily on storms and water. Very similar to the tide sages that we encounter uh, in Kaltiris. Uh, they're using this magic to control waters, uh, drown people, uh, cause lightning storms to happen by making lightning clouds, uh, controlling strong winds. Uh, and it's fascinating because at the time we're just like, oh yeah, Naga just are their elemental wizards. But now I'm starting to question that. And is it something that they knew naturally, or is it something that they've learned by now looking at at Battle for Azeroth by watching the Tide Sages? Because we know that they're they're present in that zone. They they've been aware of that. It's not exactly an unknown quantity. Did they learn or were inspired by that after they started living under the water? Because I don't think making lightning clouds underwater is a useful talent. It seems like something that wouldn't necessarily be good. Um, maybe when you're on land, sure. But she is. She was the first real time you start, in my opinion, that you start to see somebody uh, really uh, grasp onto that sort of like water magic that isn't just healing. And Thespia herself uh, is. She's. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. I think it was one of the really good friends and confidants of lady vosh is that correct i mean she basically is certainly she's they they were childhood friends it even says so uh thespia remained a, a close confidant of her childhood friend lady vosh so 
I, I definitely think that, the, you know, keep in mind, Vosh was a, was a royal handmaiden. So Despia herself would have also been relatively highly placed. Uh, oh, she was right. a highborn. Lady, Lady Vosh was a royal. And, and keep in mind, she was a highborn. Mm-hmm. So she, I think maybe giving the credit to Kulteris is getting it backwards. You think it's the other because way? Because keep in mind, like, Thespia would have been a highborn, which meant that over 10,000 years ago, she was alive and practicing magic on the surface. And we know from, you know, Ashara's reign that she had an interest in water before she became an Aga because her, her scepter, um, is it called the scepter of Ashara? I don't remember what the, the, the legend, the artifact is. The scepter of Ashara is its common name. Yeah. That thing is all about water. I mean, it's water magic was, it's interesting to these people because you know, the well of eternity was so important to them. And they were, you know, essentially living in a maritime state because the Well of Eternity was this massive inland ocean that they were living around. So they, there's, I, I certainly don't, I'm not trying to like say that the people of Calteris don't have a natural understanding of water and the tides and all that. I'm just saying that since we know that from the beginning, like when we get to that zone that the tide priests are all being subverted by Lady, by Queen Ashara, it is within the realm of possibility that that corruption took place a while ago and we see it again like they also have they also have like the problem with all the various old god servants and that's something that happens to shamans in general shamans are extremely vulnerable to that because Mm. shamans deal with elementals and the the old gods and their servants have ways to control elementals so uh but at any rate thespia's power is very I mean, she was one of the most annoying bosses to fight back then. I mean, oof. <laughs> oh, God, tanking her was a nightmare. Being, being uh, a healer for that fight was a nightmare, too. Yeah. But um, Thespia, so Thespia is there. You, you fight your way through Thespia, and you run into the person that, that Vash has actually hired um, to, to do the mechanical work for all of this, for the entire Steam Vaults, for everything in Coilfang. And it's a, it's a gnome. Yeah, a leper gnome. It's a leper gnome. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a survivor of the Gnomergon explosion who maintained his intelligence didn't become trog like didn't you know isn't mentally impaired but is now completely unethical doesn't doesn't care anything for ethics uh he cares about his work and that's it and so he gets hired to 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 build all the machinery in the steam vaults and that's like how good must this guy be that he got hired to go to draenor yeah, well, I mean, and, he, you know, and he had a reputation too because he had worked with like the Blood Cell Buccaneers and stuff like that as well. Like he was essentially just traveling Azeroth, selling his knowledge to basically anybody that would pay, and just let him continue his work. And that we know that the Naga watch everything; they're they're omnipresent in classic WoW or vanilla WoW, um, at least like in those particular zones where water happens to be. Um, and like we've pointed out before, they're pretty early in the Night Elf uh, campaign of things. So it's not on. They might have heard of, you know, this and brought it to uh, Lady Vosh with, hey, you know, those gnomes are really good with technology. Well, there's this master smith, this this engineer just kind of like wandering around and he doesn't seem to care who pays him to do whatever. We could probably use him. And then they go. Here's a bunch of money. Go just build a giant machine that sucks all of the water out of this entire zone. And he goes, cool. I haven't done that before. Let's find out if we can do it. And then goes and does it right. Like, yep. And he did absolutely do it. 100%. And it's the fusing of arcane energy with technology as well, because that's very, very, very spelled out. And you see that because 
again, the first boss is using sort of that arcane energy, combine it with the machinery and his group of engineers. And yeah, and that's really the fascinating part for me is that like, I did not expect at this point to see a leper gnome in, you know, Outland. That that was not expected at all. Uh, But then from there, once you defeat him and you take out the machinery, because you fight him at the heart of the machine that's taking care of all the the pumping and destruction, uh, then you move on to Warlord Kalathresh, who, again, is there to protect everything. He's the overseer. Um, Didn't really do a good job because, you know, we killed him. I mean, he did a good job in that he was very successful up until the point where we killed him. I mean, that's the case for just about everybody we kill, isn't it? They're usually doing pretty well until we show up. Uh, yeah, but he wasn't anywhere near the uh, he wasn't anywhere near the heart of the machinery when, uh, or neither was his uh, militaristic forces. By the time we go and take out the mech engineer, so well, we just- killed we killed quite a few of them to get to that guy. But also, the other thing about Calithresh is that he's actually not there to protect the steam vault. He's there to protect the the secret, hmm. which is this weird goo in these tanks that they're using to like amplify up the, the Naga. And we don't know what that was, and we never find out what that was. Yeah, we that kind of like just kind of got dropped a little bit. Although we did see similar containers in I wanna say it was Battle for Azeroth when you're dealing with the, the Naga stuff there. Yeah. You see similar containers in uh oh bloody heck. Shadow Vault, Shadow Valley, Shadow, whatever the heck is that valley named? Shadow Moon Valley. The Naga there have big glass containers just like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever it is, it's called the Distiller during the fight. And every time Kalatresh is near the thing, he can draw power from it and gain Warlord's Rage if you don't break the Distiller. And if he gains that, his attack speed goes up 17% and his damage does by 18%. And that can stack. So, yeah, he will mess you up. Mm-hmm. And that's the interesting thing about it. It's there. It's a big part of the fight. It's this big secret the Naga are doing, and we don't know. We never find out what are they distilling. Where is it originally from? What's going on with this? <laughs> what is this? Why is it so important? And is that part of the reason why they were looking to try to take over the natural fauna and, and flora of the area? Did they learn something that we? Didn't? Um, and and there's I think there there might have been something there because we know as we move from the Steam Vault to Serpentine Cavern that there is more experimentation. So as you finish the steam vaults and you're geared up, your next section is to go to the steam vaults, the massive door uh, of water, keeping you from getting in there. Finally, it makes it made available to you. Um, I'm oversimplifying at the time, the keen processing. Um, but then you go into the seat of power to go and make your way to face Lady Vosh. And the first thing that strikes me about Serpent Shrine Cavern is one, how big is it is absolutely massive um yeah it's a very big it's a very big raid yeah cavern is for not a lot of bosses there's only six bosses in there um but just like from a mechanical standpoint the amount of trash is huge but just the physical space and to kind of give you an idea uh slave pens had four bosses underbog had four bosses steam vaults had three and so now we get to a raid that has six um so they're a little spread out which is kind of why we lump, I lump everything together. But the first thing you come across there as you make your way in and look at this massive expanse of space is it is a cavern. Uh, and the first thing you see is Hydros the Unstable. Uh, and he is a giant water elemental, uh, the Duke of Currents, that is currently being used. Uh, I think it looks like he's enslaved by arcane energy. 
uh, to purify corrupted water elementals, but we don't know why they're corrupted, right? There's an unstable poisonous thing uh, that these water, these water elementals are in that he's cleansing and then they move on with their lives. Are they all enslaved in working towards everything else uh, that the, the Naga are doing? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's interesting that there's Hydros and he himself, when he's, when he is purifying things, he's the one being purified too. He's drawing corruption into himself. And then the, the beams of energy coming from this giant device, which we don't know what the hell it is, are the ones that purify him. But when he moves away from the, the purifier, that's when the corruption returns. Mm -hmm. And it's not, we don't know what's going on with that. We don't know why he's corrupted. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know if this is related to that fluid that the, you know, the end of boss of steam vaults is, is draining to grow up more powerful. Really have no idea, but we do know that Hydros is suffering. Like he is actually in pain. Whenever he switches form, he's in pain. Uh, and when he switches form, uh, four elementals of the form he's currently in explode out of him. And that means basically every time he gets poisoned, he emits like these new poison elementals. Every time the poison is cleansed from him, he gets new regular water elementals. And it's, it is a fascinating thing because you know, what are they doing? Why is he here? Like, we don't know. We know that they're using him to, for the part of the purification process, but we don't know why. Like, you know, why did they need to do this? Like, what does this have to do with all the other stuff? Because you, you just pointed out, if you want to talk about their experimentation, there's at least the next couple of bosses will go into that for you. <laughs> one of them, one of them is the lurker below. Yeah. go Continue, please. The lurker below is essentially a Kraken boss. It's mm -hmm. the, the first kind of Kraken boss. The one that are like more giant monster fish monsters and less tentacle monsters. But it is this enormous thing that is like, I don't know that these things are native to, to Draenor slash Outland. I mean, we see them on Azeroth. Like we, we see them, like they're, one of them is up in Northrend. It's actually getting worshipped as like a powerful spirit or a god. Um, there are others, you know, there's one that attacks, uh, well, used to attack um, Theramore before Theramore got blown up. One assumes it doesn't attack there anymore because it's probably pretty boring. Ah, I'm here to. Oh, you guys gonna rebuild this place? I'm getting kind of <laughs> tired. There's no sailors to eat or nothing. I'm just gonna go back on. Them. But regardless, like that's the lurker is there. It's it's down in the basement of of Coralfang. It's like you go down to like the lowest point you can go, and you can fish him up. You literally fish him up. And I find myself. I've always wondered this about the lurker. It's like, is it related to the old gods? I mean, because we know that some of the krakens are, but we don't know the difference. Why are some of the krakens fish like, and some of the kraken like squid like i have no idea is there a relation between the two types like we don't know that either um we know this but the thing is is there's also there are apparently kraken on like draenor before the mm -hmm. place got blown up which honest, ironically would kind of actually make the whale like the the old god connection make more sense because we know there's at least one old god who got summoned onto outland it wasn't fully through, but it was being summoned. It was in the process of being summoned forth into into Outland. So, yeah, um, but we don't know like why if the fish like krakens are actually related to those guys. We know that they they're the Cavaldir, for instance, were trying to free Leveroth, who was who was imprisoned by Queen Ashara. Keep that in mind. There's Queen Ashara 
It's part of her conflict with apparently, of all people, Helia imprisoned an, uh, an, you know, a Kraken. And the Naga were still keeping it imprisoned 500 years later. So is that why there was a Kraken imprisoned in Coilfang? Was there just a Kraken there and they just imprisoned it? You know, like, like no, we don't want you here. We don't know how it got there. We don't know if it, it's an, a native one or if it's from Azeroth. But Lady Vosh is using it as, as a guard animal. Like, she's literally got it there to attack anybody that attacks the place. And that, to me, is fascinating, too, because we know that the sea goddess uh, Okanoa, uh, one of the ones up in Northrend, is, like, possibly a Loa. It's a Kraken Loa. Like, think about that. It's like a Kraken Ancient or a Kraken Loa. And if there are two different kinds of Kraken, and one is the kind that gets imprisoned by Naga, who work for the old gods... And the other is the kind that serve the old gods and attempt to kidnap Neptalon. Like, is that why the lurker below is there? Did they enslave it because it's, it's, you know, related to the Loa types? There's a lot going on here, but we don't know specifics about it enough. All we know about the lurker is that it's there and it will attack you if you try and fish it up, which is probably not surprising. Well, and also that it can survive in an extreme temperature because one of the things you do as you're moving around the area, um, there's a big central... Well, like walkway that goes around mm-hmm. and each of those areas has a control and that control is maintaining the temperature of the water because as you when you try to get into it um it is ostensibly um incredibly warm to the point of killing you um you turn off the heating of it and all of these fish die why was it maintaining that temperature was there a reason for it but we know that the extreme temperature was something that the the lurker below was able to um, sort of survive and thrive. Either, in. yeah, either tolerated it or actually wanted it. Right. So, yep. and that that would that it, there's a lot with the lurker that I think is is potentially interesting. Um, but the oh, other, we're gonna talk about. No, I I gotta go interrupt ahead. you because I know I know I think I know where you were gonna go, but I want to go to Fathom Lord Carathras because you mentioned earlier uh, you were talking about Akama, yep. and you you go to kill Fathom Lord Carathras because of Okama. Because you need to talk to Seer Olung. So, Carathras is a standard Naga, you know, an aggressive male Naga warlord. He's, you know, pretty much... It's a council fight. Yeah, the, the better he's the better version of the boss at the end of Steam Vault. And he's got a bunch of people with him, as you point out. He's got Fathom Guard Chakras, Fathom Guard Tideves, and Fathom Guard uh, Charybdis, as in Skilla and. Good job with that reference, guys. Um, and yeah, it's a council fight. But more importantly... This guy is essentially the head of Vash's guard. Yeah, for the head of security, of for lack of a better term, yeah. And so when you kill him and get to see her Olan, that's the point where you've you've compromised the security of the place so there's nobody really to stop you from getting to Vash. Uh, with the exception of the next two bosses who are, aren't really, they're in the way. They're not really guards. They're not trying to protect her. They're just there. Yeah, which is um, interesting because the one of them, and in, in talking about before we move on to Vosh herself, but like Leotheris the Blind um, is a fascinating uh, find here because he's one of the five blood elves that were gifted to uh, by Kalthas to Illidan to become trained as demon hunters. Um, he is only one of two that survived that process. Um, the other being Veritas Felsel, which was left behind to train other demon hunters at the Black Temple, but Leo Theris went mad because of the demon inside of him and yeah. apparently escaped and somehow found his way into uh, the Serpent Shrine Cavern 
and for some reason started wreaking havoc on his boss's ally, more or less. Um, and then when we come across him, he's been banished. And I mean, like, they're literally having him phased out because there are a bunch of spellbinders surrounding him, keeping him out of phase with reality. Um, and then when we encounter him and, and, and undo him, we see how far that corruption has taken him. Now, at the time, it manifested as uh, essentially metamorphosis for him. Um, we know now what we didn't know then, which is that is essentially the demon inside of him being made manifest. Um, so he was a significant threat or at least enough of a threat to Vosh and her plans or at least Vosh and her seat of power that she devoted some high level mages essentially to contain him. And then the other one is Morogrim Tidewalker, who's a sea giant. And I have no yep. clue why they're there. And it's like the only giant you see on, you know, the only actual giant as opposed to like fungal giants that you see in this entire zone and all these raids and in this raid and all these instances, this is the first time you see a giant that you would recognize from Azeroth. Mm -hmm. And as far as I can tell, he's not native to Draenor. No, like he, he is an Azerothian sea giant. So they apparently brought him with them or went and got him. And the thing is, is he's got a whole bunch of Murlocs that are serving him. He's got a bunch of Murloc slaves, for lack of a better word, which we know. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's pretty common for giants. We've seen that. All, we've seen that a lot, um, but it's, just, it's, it's fascinating that he's there. And it's the question is, did they bring him for muscle? Is that how they subdued Quagmaron? Did they yeah, have him it do it? Sense. Yeah. It would make sense. If he went in and bashed Quagmaron, he might've even been uh Gazan's handler. Yeah, it would make sense. You know, we know that they've we know that they've kept uh, Hydra as pets at some point. So it, he's just fascinating because like it's is it he there for a promise of power or what was he promised to, and brought in? Um, and like you said, he's not native to it. So was he just literally brought here on the promise of that power? So but the last boss is, of course, Lady Vosh. Um, and I'll let Matt talk for a little bit. Yeah, we're getting close to the end of the show. Yeah, but, we are. Um, Lady Vosh, I mean, she is one of the more interesting Naga characters. Um, obviously, she's in Shadowlands and you get to talk to her. But when you when you run into her on Outland and in Burning Crusade, she's a veteran of Illidan's campaign to conquer the place in the first place. She actually is one of the Naga who came to the surface when Illidan called them, uh, invoking the kind of an ancient pact between himself and Ashara. And they do his bidding. They do not, there's no point to, they like seem to refuse it, but they're very clearly out for themselves. Yeah. Uh, because when they get to Outland, you know, Illidan wants to control the water and they obviously want to control the water because they want, you know, that's where they're from. They need water. It is, it is important to them. And there's even a Naga heretic that you, when you're doing the Serpent Shrine dungeons, I mean, the, the Coilfang dungeons, there's even a Naga heretic who is turned away from Ashara and is worshiping Neptulon. Yeah. And he's a straight up heretic. Like they, they're like, you know, put that guy in a cage and we'll kill him later. Uh, when, when, when Vash tells us to do so. So when you get there, Illidan has, is, Illidan has two people that, that are like his right and left hand. He's got Kael'thas and he's got Vash, but Illidan is smart enough to know when someone is going to betray him. And he knows I have not done what I told Kael'thas I would do. I have not freed his people from their addiction. I have not even given them access to the arcane power that I have in my possession that could help them. So I don't trust this guy. 
And but Vosh, he trusts Vosh. Mm-hmm. There's never any sign that he suspects Vosh of anything. There's never any sign that he and Vosh don't have a good working relationship. And to aside me, that's from, fascinating. Aside from Leo Theris being there, which is a wild card because we don't know like what led yeah. him to go there and is is. Yeah, uh, Leo Theris was exiled. Leo Theris was exiled to 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 the Zangars, you know, to Zangar Marsh. He was, you know, like literally get out of the temple, go over there, be by yourself. We don't want you around. His going into Serpent Shrine was not Illidan's plan. He did not exactly. want the guy there. Yeah. Um, Illidan just didn't want to deal with him. It's like, well, yeah, you're crazy now, but I got Varadis and he's doing good. You can go do whatever. I don't care. Um, but when you get there, you know, as I said, Vash has, you know, been entrusted with this whole drain the water plan, which is working smashingly. Yep. I mean, she's say what you want about her. She's, she's been pulling it off up until, you know, those Horde and Alliance adventurers started raiding all of her dungeons. And when you get there, the fight itself is complicated, which you would expect from Lady Vosh. Uh, she's got multiple waves of protection. She's got a whole bunch of people serving her. She's even enslaved some Marsh Walkers and uses them against you. Uh, don't want to go too much into the mechanics of the fight because that's not really important. But what's important is what it shows you about Vosh is that she is meticulous. She is well prepared. She has a plan. She's cunning. Um, yeah, she's cunning. And her plan... I mean, based on the amount of times my guild wiped on it, her plan is pretty good. Uh, the fact that we managed to kill her is almost a miracle. Uh, back then, getting those stupid pillars, you know, undone, if they only if they hadn't brought the tainted cores into it, you know, I, the, the, I think that you loot those off the marsh walkers, right? Yep. Or no, it's the elementals. It's the elementals you loot them off. You don't even kill the marsh walkers. The, the, which, uh, which now makes sense now that I'm thinking about it, that maybe that's why they were purifying the elementals. So that something yeah. like that didn't happen. Maybe that was because that was the only thing that could take out those pillars. But regardless, you you managed to finally defeat it. You you kill Vosh. This is the first. I mean, most people. I don't know if you'd say like I don't know if Kalthos or Vosh are considered to die first in terms of the uh, the story of the of the expansion. Vosh. I don't. Yeah, but killing Vosh is the first loyal servant Illidan loses. It's the I first mean, real blow that you deal to Illidan, really, honestly, yeah. because everything else that you've been doing up to this point has been, for lack of a better term, cleaning up his trash. Uh, these you're you're fighting against uh, fell orcs. You're fighting against servants that could easily betray him. You're you're basically taking care of things, and I often posit that that's why you don't really see him very often. It's not that he doesn't know what you're doing; it's he doesn't care. Um, because you only see him a couple times throughout the, the, the entirety of the expansion. And I think story-wise, it's only after you see Lady Vash and kill her that you even get a glimmer of him. Like, yeah, maybe I should probably make some effort to, to slow these ones down. Because, again, you're just taking care of, of ones that probably would have betrayed him already. And other than that, he doesn't seem to care, which I think is fascinating. But, again, Serpent Shrine Cavern and the Coil Thing Reservoir... As a whole, the entirety of Zangermarsh really is very fascinating from a storytelling standpoint, in particular to Outland. I feel that one of the, the strengths of, of Burning Crusade is that each zone felt like it told a complete story from start to finish and then had ties with the other ones. Um, maybe comparing it to Vanilla, it was a little more, I think, cohesive than they had ever done before. And obviously it was their first expansion, so they had to learn. Um, but when you're done with Hellfire and you move on to Zangermarsh, there's a reason for it. When you move on to Blade's Edge, 
there's a reason for it. and it's it's all building it's all building to that that final common goal um with defeating illidan and taking down uh the lord of outland the self-styled warlord of of outland and coil the coilfang reservoir the vosh story is fascinating because it's the only plan that's working really aside from him making uh more demon hunters which we didn't know about at the time we knew a handful of them um all of his other plans kind of go sideways. This one was succeeding. It was working. And we kind of stop it. And it's it's not often that you come across a bad guy and their plans are working according to, to what they wanted. And then you stop it. Usually it's because you find uh, a chink in the armor or, or, or something like a gap in the, the, the armor plates. But yeah. So anything else you want to add about that before we, we close it out here? No, I think we're pretty good. All right. So I do want to thank everybody, and uh, as a reminder, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and glow, grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue in an ads-free site experience. And as a reminder, all of us at Blizzard Watch stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard in demanding change for a better tomorrow and a safer working environment. Mm-hmm.